come in come into our final talk discussion period of this session. And we've covered quite a bit of ground since we started yesterday morning. So we kind of bounced around a little bit, but unifying themes that kept coming back. And uh, we began this morning by looking at this uh, very short text by John Tarrant uh, on peach blossoms. We got about halfway through with it, and my plan this afternoon is to kind of pick up where we left off, complete it, and I think we'll uh, still have plenty of opportunity for further discussion uh, to go along with uh, our discussion that uh, that began this morning on this uh, uh, lovely text. So I think we're we're down to the uh, final part of that middle column that begins uh, with a sentence about peach blossoms may seem to be a rather graceful occasion for awakening. But it's really about the shock of what's real. So again, it's kind of, oh, I'm sorry, I had given you, okay. <laughs> uh, We have a tendency when peach blossoms are the central theme of, of the text, and those are lovely things. So we, we go to that part of it and we go, well, of course, that's, that's an avenue to awakening. I mean, they're so lovely. I mean, it just elicits a response from all of us. And that's, to miss the point here. And sometimes it can be very uh, jolting things that cause the awakening. Sometimes nice soft things like peach blossoms or plum blossoms. So even though these blossoms may seem like a rather graceful occasion for awakening. So that becomes what we're looking for then. We're looking for these graceful means of awakening, but it's not about that at all. Really, it's about the shock of what's real. And we can, we can have that reach us from any object, anything. That's the important thing to understand here. As he then says in the next sentence, so it could be anything, anything that we meet. The shock of what's real is, and, and it's a shock because as we discussed this morning, it's sudden. All of a sudden, we've been completely turned around in terms of our view of what was right before our eyes. 
transformed. And then the next part, when we truly meet any part of the universe, then it's recognized. When we truly meet, so our chant before a Dharma talk, an unsurpassed, penetrating, and perfect dharma is rarely met with. I mean, I used to be embarrassed when they chant that before I was going to give a talk because I wanted to say, it's just me. <laughs> this is not an unsurpassed, penetrating, perfect dharma. Far from it. <laughs> Can we skip the chant and just go right into my talk? But the point isn't the object. You know, I could give a lovely talk. Occasionally it happens, I think. <laughs> Sometimes, not so much. <laughs> but it's still a Dharma game. So that's what's rarely met with. It's not the object. We're not meeting it. Just like whether, even if it's a plum blossom. We walk past them or equally uh, wonderful things constantly and pay it no mind. It was the video that I think I even included in a Monday email maybe a year or two ago of uh, the, one of our greatest contemporary uh, violinists, Joshua Bell, down in the New York subway station playing uh, a Bach partita and people are just walking by and no mind at all. There were a couple of like kids that became fixated, <laughs> but the adults, they were, their mind was filled with the thoughts that, that were described at the beginning of this text. And they had no time to meet anything. That is a classic, in two senses, <laughs> a classic example of what's being referred to here. In terms of when we truly meet any part of the universe, doesn't even have to be Joshua Bell. Then it's recognized. And, by, and this recognition, he goes on to elaborate, it's not alien, it's you. Because that separation, as is mentioned earlier in the text, the veil has dropped off. So it's not separate. We recognize ourselves in it. And we immediately... It's kind of like Hokyo Zamai about being in tune. And all it takes is that hair's breast difference. And the way is as distant as heaven and earth. So when we awaken, it's becoming attuned. And we, I think we feel that, you know, there is that sense of attunement and resonance that can't be felt 
if we're in our thoughts about it. So very important, this meeting it. And in that meeting, it's recognized. And then it's you. And now we get, we come back to, as always seems to keep happening. I don't think I'm forcing the comparison too much, but we kind of come back to uh, what we've been looking at uh, most recently in our study of the Lotus Sutra. The next section says, you're meeting your own true face that's always been with you, like the jewel that was stashed away in that destitute man's robe. It was always there. But now you're meeting it. Your true face. Your true self. Also known as your Buddha nature. So when we awaken, because we become attuned to what we're experiencing. That attunement means our jewel, our true face is coming forth to meet that object, whatever it is. It can be, as he says, anything, anything at all. It can be a spider web as we're cleaning the Zendo. <laughs> Your true face becomes a spider. <laughs> but in that, it becomes all things. Nothing is separate. Once the veil drops, then all separation drops. So awakening is always all the way through. All the way. Because otherwise we're not, we're kind of like holding back. And there are koans designed around that experience where uh, where we we just not we resist going all the way through because it's almost like it's too jarring to just let go of our entire conceptual framework and enter that that profound space so we kind of pull back but if we can let go, open ourselves up, then we're through. Then we're through. And part of the recognition, the realization, is that we're always through. Even when we come back, just because that's our nature in order to function in this world uh, that we, we live in. But yet we're always 
also all the way through. So that's the great shifting that can take place. When we open ourselves to this kind of an encounter, with plum blossom or peach blossoms or anything else, we're primed, we're ready. That's the key. It's our state. And then it can be brought forth by literally anything. It's not the object. It's our openness. That's, that's the principal factor here. Hence the importance of practice. And why practice is equated with enlightenment. To practice is to let go and open ourselves up. And to do that is to awaken. They're not steps. It's all part of this web that we are embedded in, that all beings find themselves in. So what does this do to us? How does this change us? The next sentence starts to address that for us. The things you thought you needed to be happy, start to see, actually, you don't need that. Pretty easy to see how that would be pretty major game changer. Because <laughs> we go chasing after these things for our happiness. So to really see that joy is already there. Remember, joy is one of the seven awakening factors. So it's important. It's a, a key component of this whole process of awakening. So to have this recognition that the things we've been chasing after for our happiness, things we need to accomplish, things we need to acquire, Dogen and his teachings kind of encapsulates this whole area by talking about uh, 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 fame and profit. But you know that we can take that as just a catch-all category for all of these perceived objects that we got to have in order to to be happy individuals. And that is the point of life, is to be happy. So that's what launches us on our acquisitive track. And because that's not the true source for happiness, lo and behold, there tends to develop this awareness that it's never enough. Because that, it, 
from from that source, it isn't. That's not what we're truly seeking. That's an illusion. So we're still left feeling the void, which brings some of us to this desperate move of just sitting hour after hour, <laughs> staring at the wall. Which is a pretty radical understanding right out of the gate. As I've described it in the past, it's wisdom seeking wisdom. So there's this modicum of wisdom that puts us on the path. That we've awakened to the fact, at least, that the path we've been on, the acquisitive path, is not working. And the, the realization that I don't think it ever will. It's not about getting more from gathering the wrong things. Because whatever, even when we shift and decide, well, that's what I'm going to go aim for next. Still, we're left with that void. And we realize it's time to explore somebody like a, a Dogen, a Buddha, a Dongshan, Suzuki Roshi, Katagiri Roshi, Koban, Chino Roshi. So goes on then to list things and uh you know he captures things maybe you wouldn't be so ready to to add to the list he says you don't need health or wealth or true love boy those are hitting some of the biggies right <laughs> but yet you know, there are people with uh, with serious health issues that are deeply awakened people. Just to choose one of the items here. Because what he's saying is you don't need. So not to make the mistake of, of stipulating these things that we say, well, if I had that, I'd be okay. Then I could practice. And I'm sure that would embellish things, but I need to have this. So that, that term need here, I think, is, is a really critical one. It's not a prerequisite. If you have them, beautiful. But if you don't, you still have Buddha nature, you still have the jewel, still 
awaken to that and find your joy that you have. They're not preconditions. And a big one next. You don't need to know what happens next. That's scary. <laughs> we do need to know what happens next. But you don't really need to. That's not prerequisite either. In fact, it's important that we be able to, to let that one go. It's not an encouragement to become reckless. Devil may care. It's just saying you don't need to know what's coming next. But I mean, following the way is taking care of what's right here now. And in doing that, you're pretty much taking care of everything, which includes you know, whatever might happen next. Don't worry about it in terms of the thing that's going to happen next. Just take care of what's right here now, which is where we can, we can awaken this object, this peach blossom, this sound, these words. And if we are in that state regularly of taking care of this, then the next moment, take care of that when it arises. Take care of all the moments of your life. But that's a different matter than than needing to know what happens next. And he puts it rather nicely right after that. You have your own life made only for you right here now. This sense, I've talked about it before, that each moment, each experience is everything coming together to create that. Uniquely, you know, that's the uniqueness of each of us and each of our experiences. It's all one in a sense, but yet we can also appreciate that everything comes together to just this. And the myriad just thises that are happening constantly. So that's what we all have in common when we walk out into the world. And everybody is in that same general space of everything coming together to put them in that space. How do we, as beings of Buddha nature, how do we carry ourselves forward? in such an existence. What's being mapped out here is to deeply 
encounter, meet each thing, each person, each object, each event, deeply meaning, care for. And appreciate how this all comes together right now. Your being here right now at this time. That's true at all times. Whatever it is you're engaged in, to have that realization about how very precious it is. It's just as precious as a peach blossom. Everything. So everything else follows from the peach blossoms. Because it's not about the peach blossoms. Peach blossoms are just pointing to the fact that this is true for everything. And that's, as Mark pointing to, to the uh, little Dharma message on the back of his Rakasu from Dong Shan and Dong Shan's teacher, Yunyan, just this is it. That's it. Four very short words. Or 12 letters, four words. <laughs> kind of sums it up. Just this is it. Just this is like the universal X. It's, it's the variable that fills in for anything. Hence, hence it's universality. Whatever just this is, it's it. It's, it's your gateway to the ultimate. And the ultimate in it and the ultimate in you. And they meet. And there's the recognition that they've met and they've merged. And the veil has dropped. An awakening has occurred. So he closes here with another poem. Just says it's centuries later and from another country. The village peach trees were not aware of their own crimson, but still they freed Lingyun from all his doubts. <clears throat> so it's it's a very wonderful, insightful 
message to us that it is always unfolding. It's not even dependent upon any particular intention. So we can get caught up in notions about intentionality. And that becomes another thing we can blame. But it has nothing to do with it. And the realm of nature obviously demonstrates that. But even in the human realm, what are the factors that go into intention? In fact, I kind of prefer the word agency because agency seems to be more encompassing that it brings in all these other factors too that are always present. So it's all things coming together. And and creating this moment. And creating this moment as a Dharma gate. So the Dharma gate is not dependent upon someone's intention. It's, as, as we saw uh, previously, it's about our being prepared. It's not about anything external. And their intention that I'm dependent upon. So only somebody would intend to awaken me. <laughs> That's what I need. No. Nope. Peach Blossom had no intention. And yet, they freed Ling Yun from all his doubts. His doubts are getting caught up in our thoughts. Our thoughts create our doubts. Our doubts don't arise from this meeting and recognition. There's no room for doubt there. It's just this. And that's descriptive of so much that happens to us. There's no doubt. If you walk outside and it's snowing and snowflakes hit you in the face, you know that. <laughs> You've just met the snowflakes. <laughs> <laughs> and you've become one with them, <laughs> like it or not. But you know, there's no doubt about that. That's what we're talking about here. When we truly meet and recognize this, these awakening moments,
where the veil of separation drops away. Because that's just a perception. That's a, that's a thought. As he says earlier, the thoughts, they're just clouds, dreams. They're just drifting through. There's nothing at all there. Phantoms. Or as the Diamond Suture puts it, uh, uh, like a spark of lightning vanished in a flash. But with that, brings us to the end of this text. And we have plenty of time, which is good, because this being our final talk, I'm going to get up, get my speaker here. You're muted. Still, still muted. Okay. We can't meet that way. <laughs> oh, I think, I think they're unable to unmute. We're working on it. Paul's poly trip, he's horse feet and everybody. Yeah, sometimes you have to do <laughs> So am I unmuted? Now you're good. Good, okay. <laughs> I had some problems today with the uh, signing in and signing out. Okay. And, but anyway, um, so, so what I'm hearing you say is that we can be, we can have that moment of being in touch with reality. We can have that breakthrough moment. Mm -hmm. And then the next minute, the next moment, we can be back into our into ourself. Mm -hmm. Slide back in. Right. So is um I mean there is sometimes with me I have that feeling of, of anxiety, of uncomfortableness. I'm in this place that I don't recognize. And it 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 it, it seems scary. And sometimes not, but and more often, I think it's just that I slide back into my habitual thinking. So Zazen is a way to sort of bring those moments closer together so that we aren't, there are not these large gaps in between a moment of being alive with something, uh, maybe the snowflake or something else, uh, an object, and the time until that happens again, which oftentimes for me is a long time. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's an accurate, uh, fair uh, description of, of, of the impact that pr practice has with us. 
is it kind of uh, uh, acquaints us with those experiences where we can just wholeheartedly uh, situate ourselves so that we're able to let go and open ourselves up, which is what Zazen practice boils down to. So through that, and that's that's the impact of, of doing longer structures like a session, uh that's you know some this is where breakthroughs tend to occur. It's not limited to these, but certainly that's been my experience has been that uh, doing the longer stretches uh, really allows me to more deeply and slowly engage. And then when I re-enter the world, it's like I'm primed to be able to, at the same time as I'm re-entering the world, to bring with my, my, uh, into my experience, this uh, ability to, to fully meet it uh, as it truly is. Uh, but yet, uh, to be able to function within the normal everyday world. And the, the merging of difference in unity in our chant book speaks to that. You know, right in darkness, there is light, but don't see it as light. But we recognize. So in darkness, there is talking about seeing the emptiness of all things. It's really meeting it. But and in that space, there is the conventional world. Light is pointing to the world where we distinguish things. There's this and that. So right in darkness, there is light. But when we're practicing, we're, we're with the darkness, the, the unity. But we understand that that's not uh, separate from light. So when we re-enter the light and deal with all the various objects and, and events of our life, that uh, that darkness is there. The revert, the flip side of that is also true, and we we bring that with us, and that is what zazen over time enables more and more that we we bring that understanding realization with us throughout our lives and that's the liberating aspect of it that we can re-enter the world of light which we need to do we can't just uh sit and face the wall an entire lifetime we have to come up for air so to speak <laughs> And, and live our lives. And other beings are dependent upon that too. But other beings will benefit if we also bring the darkness with us, the darkness and the light, unity and difference, that we can 
move freely between those two, which takes us into uh, Dong Shan's version of the merging of difference and unity, and he, he expresses it in terms of the five rings. And Dong Shan is the author of what we chanted this morning, the song of the precious mirror of Samadhi, Okyozam. Uh, and that's why he talks about all these things of five, the five flavored herb, the five pronged vajra. People go, what, what is <laughs> it's, uh, you kind of have to have the inside scoop about what his teaching was. And the five ranks were just different ways that the relative and the absolute interrelate. But the fifth rank is just the, the free, uh, almost playful move, shifting back and forth between the, the darkness and the light, the unity and the difference, that we can just freely jump back and forth. And that comes from practice. Uh, could you maybe, so I'm not really sure what you mean by bring the darkness into the light, unless it's bringing our, our darkness to a place where we can face it and see it uh, for what it is. Is that part of bringing the darkness into yeah, the light? And, and don't take, don't uh, mistake darkness as being something negative. Darkness is actually pointing to non-differentiation. That means this state of merging. Just make sure you're, you're clear about that. So bringing darkness into the light literally means that when we're working in the world of this and that and and uh and using skillful means in order to be able to work together with other people towards certain ends like we all do uh that you're also bringing the darkness into that as well and the darkness means you understand the interdependence of all things. And you are understanding that those are all Dharma gates that you could enter into if you so uh, chose to do. You could. That's not to say that that's a appropriate to always keep doing that. That's not, that's not the ticket here. The ticket is understanding that that's always the case. We don't actually have to enact it because we need, there are times we need to be fully functioning in the light, working with all the uh, differentiation that the light brings to us so I can accomplish tasks and do things. That's critical. You know, otherwise, this tradition would be uh, uh, <laughs> dangerous, <laughs> dangerous. I wouldn't get in the car with somebody driving that was doing that, for instance. They need to be able to distinguish <laughs> between their car and other cars. <laughs> Don't get lost in the darkness there. <laughs> it's all just one big vehicle out there on the, on the freeway. No, 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 no. 
keep your distance. <laughs> Pay attention yeah. to how fast you're going. Maybe part of my, uh, what I'm coming up against here is my uh, training for so many years in Judeo-Christianity, which distinguished light and dark as being enlightenment and non-enlightenment. Um, there was that distinction, at least as I was told, between uh, lightness and dark. It's uh, It sounds like this is an area that, you know, it's new to me with, uh, with yeah. Buddhism. So that, just keep it in mind that darkness means you can't see the differences. You're not focused on differences. Oh, okay. And that's, well, that's the realm of shunyata. Okay. So, although that's quite a bit different then. That's yeah. remarkably different. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I see. Okay. I, I think I think I see a little better at least. Okay. Thank you. I, I will we'll carry that around for a while and see what I can, if I can plumb something out of it. And yeah, thank you. All right. That is, that is one thing that I, I know I've run into before with uh, the difference in, uh, I guess, the, the meaning and terminology of, um, why, you know, the, the Judeo-Christian faith that I, you know, certainly was spent a lot of time with. And then uh, the difference in that in, in Buddhism, it's just there's a, yeah. All right. But I, I, what I'm, what you're saying is that coming into the, the bringing the darkness with you is, is part of the ex, total experience. If I'm understanding you. Yes. Yes. In, in terms of the, the total awakened experience mm -hmm. so that we, we are awakened to both of those aspects of reality, the lightness and the darkness, which is what Sandokai merging of difference in unity is laying out for us and it's an important uh thing to keep in mind uh because it's easy to make the mistake that buddhism is about just diving into the darkness and then just kind of staying there that's john dido lurie used to call that uh uh hiding out in the ghost caves you know because you're not uh, coming back out into your life and and living your life, interacting with others and doing things for others. If if as bodhisattvas, you know, we're being of service to others, how can you be of service to others? In darkness, there aren't others, but yet we re-enter the light, and now there are others. So that's just kind of a, a Buddhist uh, line of BS <laughs> when, when you're, you're saying, well, that's why I'm not helping yeah. others because there really aren't others. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think I've said this before that what, I, uh, what has drawn me to this practice is that to know how to interact with people better. So, uh, so I'm not, you know, I'm, more able and more apt to uh to interact in a way that's positive and that's life affirming uh in that moment uh rather than rather than not i mean the the, the space that i think i've mentioned before that i've gotten with practicing zazen has been that that gap or that space between reactivity and you know the and, and going with that reactivity it's part of what I would say for this is my own, just as my, just me, that 
uh, it's just part of the benefit because it, when I'm interacting with someone, if that reactivity comes up and I have some space and I can see it, then I can just let go of it. I can just see it and realize that, well, this is not going to help anybody. This is not the way to go. And, and in that moment, there, it, uh, next things open up. And uh, yeah, there's a, there is a, a clarity or at least a sense of connection and unity among people. I mean, I'm, we're in this together and I can do better than go along with that reactivity. There's, there's another option. So that's part of what I, I feel myself that I have, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gaining little by little in this, in this practice, even though I haven't been practicing much in the last three months, but <laughs> nonetheless, I mean, I, I would say that from the times that I have and, and in general, the, um, the fact that it doesn't entirely go away. Uh, I know I, I maybe I didn't mention it, but I have I, this period that it was going to be a dokusan, uh, a meeting with you. I have some questions about that. Uh, you, you, I'm, if I'm going too far off the part, pull me back. But you mentioned something not long ago about sometimes in your earlier days of, of study, feeling the, the rope around the horse and feeling you like you wanted to pull against that rope. Yeah. And sometimes I felt that way as well. Like, why do I have to do this? You know, and why? It, what, what's uh, kind of a, I don't know, just a sense of, a sense of rebellion of it. Feeling like the other thing is freedom, which of course it really isn't, but it feels that way sometimes. Um, but in, in, that, in that interval, uh, it's not like everything is lost. Um, and coming back, it's, uh, it's really quite a joyful experience to hear you talk because it's sort of like, uh, well, I think part of it that I enjoy coming and listening to you is that you're so upbeat. <laughs> you, have, you have such a, a buoyancy about you. It's hard not to be smiling <laughs> as, as you give your talks. But that's, you know, how I have. There's, I mean, I'm about to say I don't listen and am confronted. But, yeah, it's, uh, there's that buoyancy that's like, yeah, this is good. I would like to be more like that. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm getting off the point, I'm sure, here. But, um, yeah. I will, I thank you about the lightness and dark. I will, uh, yeah. I think I can, you know, I can step away from some of that conditioning and into uh, under a little better understanding of uh, what Buddhism is and what it has to offer. Okay, okay. Yeah. And, and one last comment I'd make in that connection with lightness and darkness is when we're uh, just dwelling in the lightness where everything is separate, uh, what ends up happening all too often is everything then is treated as an object, as a means to an end, rather than from the darkness. That's where we can uh, uh, recognize and respond to the sacredness of all things. But if we're just in the realm of the light, from the Buddhist standpoint, then everything's just an object and we're treating it as a means to an end. So in the comment earlier from the text <coughs> about chasing our desires and what's gonna make me happy, everything's a means to me. Because that's what things and people are for and experiences, events. It's to make me happy. And in the world of, of light, without that seasoning of darkness, 
of, of interdependence and shunyata and harmony, then that's, that seems to be the, the basic logic of things. Everybody is looking after themselves. Neoliberalism. <laughs> that's what makes the world spin around. Everybody's just taking care of themselves and everybody's a means to an end. And if we're lucky enough, stuff will filter down <laughs> and, and everybody will be fed, but that hasn't worked so well. <laughs> So I think that's another way of seeing that is this sense of, of things being a means to an end. And the end, of course, is self, me, you. Well, I think I um, just a comment on Doug's last point when he had said that, you know, listening to you, there's this buoyancy and then he feels like he wants to be like that. But I think that just resonates on the last line of this poem you were reading, that the crimson in you, right, you didn't even intend right. Right, for the crimson in you for something for Doug to receive. Right. And right. I think for Doug, right, Doug's coming here, showing up, hearing the Dharma and the Buddha nature, and Doug sees the Buddha nature in you. Yeah. 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 There's that response. That's a wonderful point. That's, that's <laughs> your practice. So your practice hasn't been so shoddy after all, see? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. Chris? Um, so um, I was just thinking about what we were talking about earlier related to, you know, reality kind of flowing in and um, these uh, moments of awareness sort of you know, spontaneously occurring mm -hmm. as a result of, you know, our work at trying to open ourselves up and mm -hmm. have a wider view. And I was thinking about, um, you know, how those pivotal moments can also be um, moments of great shock and pain. Mm -hmm. um, that, that, um, that type, you know, we usually think of them as, oh, I'm out meditating and then I walk in the woods and then I have this wonderful moment. And, yeah. You know, and, uh, this new awareness, but it could be a car accident or a cancer diagnosis or um, any, uh, you know, death of a loved one, or any, any uh, experience at all that can, that can exactly. yeah. yeah, 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 but nothing's excluded from that. Right. They're all peach blossoms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a, a, a very uh, important point. So thanks for mm -hmm. making sure we don't miss that. Yeah. I don't think, you can't manufacture them either, can you? It's like, I know, like, I live just outside the city. Well, I wouldn't call where I live really a city, but the light pollution's low. So sometimes I'll be driving home, and I won't even pay attention. I'll get out of the car and look up, and, like, the sky is just amazing. Yeah. And it's like, it's one of those moments. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, I, I wasn't prepared enough to be enlightened by it, but I was still, the awe was enough to right. shake me right to my, my very being. Mm -hmm. Um. But knowing that, I can't just lay out on my hammock watching the Perseid showers and, you know, it produce it. It's that, that's enjoyable, but it's not that same awestruck feeling. Right. Otherwise, we'd all be able to say, hey, let's all go see the Northern Lights and be awakened. Yeah. So I think the spontaneity is a huge part of it. Yeah. 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 In preparation. And that harkens back to his comment near the end about it's not about the intent. 
So, yeah, exactly right. It just, it is spontaneous. And it's always, because of that, it's always happening. That's why it's always there. It's not dependent upon the intent. It's entirely spontaneous. We just need to attune. <laughs> Can we do that? Yeah. yeah. So zazen is kind of a, the practice of attunement. Attunement to justice. And being with justice. 30 minutes after 30 minutes after 30 minutes and being with just this. But then when we re-enter the light, you kind of, uh, it's like a tune up. So we can become a tune in the light and still take care of the things in the, the world of the light, differentiation of this and that. And that's, you know, Dong Chan's fifth rank. We can move back and forth freely, easily. It's not feeling yoked to either side, including the darkness, you know, the emptiness, where uh, beginning Buddhists, you know, that's where they want to go and stay there. Hang out there. Don't bother me. <laughs> Literally, don't bother me. You know, that's, that's all illusion. But we, we live in illusion, delusion. And that's okay. Illusion, enlightenment. That's why Dogen seems so crazy that they're one and the same delusion and one that's what he's pointing it's just his way of expressing Dong Chan's five rays and the relationship between the light and the darkness <clears throat> and the movement between between them but actually obviously all duality collapses into justice but we see it from these two different sides, and that's okay. That's okay. So that's why he makes these seemingly crazy statements from, from a Zen master about being deluded throughout our delusion, just to be, <laughs> be accepting of, of delusion. But that doesn't mean that, that awakening doesn't take place right there. That's what he's teaching people in, of Japan when he comes back from China is how to awaken in the midst of delusion and practice it in the midst of delusion. It's not an escape. I was saying this morning, we still have the problems of our life. <laughs> so it's not an escape from those either. We're not going to, this isn't going to happen, but what if we got a foot of snow overnight or something? Yeah, 
That would be a problem, a temporary problem, a bit of a problem. Problems happen. It's okay. Last weekend, I was supposed to have been in Ann Arbor on Saturday for, for a concert. I didn't do that. <laughs> I didn't even come here. I zoomed in. <clears throat> but lo and behold, and I was perfectly okay. All right, can't go. Next day, actually, this, this ensemble was performing in Kalamazoo, Michigan just down the pipe from Ann Arbor, and they were live streaming. So, it's, <laughs> it's funny how those things were. Friday night, I was supposed to be at the Natural History Museum for their um, nature shorts, short films, and they had a festival. Couldn't go to that. But, <clears throat> then a couple of days later, I get an email from them that that's available online. Since I paid for the tickets, I just watched it. Oh, watched the whole thing. And even if that hadn't happened, okay, I missed it. Lots of other things I expect on this. <laughs> okay. This ability to to accept not knowing what the next moment will bring. Doesn't mean they don't make plans. I fill my calendar out, I've got plans. <laughs> but you know, hold it uh, with some measure of openness. Sometimes they happen, sometimes they don't. That's true for anything. So, any other thoughts about all this, all these peach blossoms and Meeting gives a whole new meaning to, to meet up, right? So. <laughs> Let's meet up. <laughs> That's a good way to see, see our life. Just a series of meetups. <laughs> This one other you know, mm -hmm. comment that we've been talking about a lot, but, um, but this sort of the idea that it's really hard to meet something if you're dragging around like this self with all kind of ideas and right, kind of an, and then the other person and other entities coming bring I think there's a good thing about nature is it's not bringing the self to it, right? It just is what it is, and so then you have to bring one half of that. You want to be yourself to feel that. When people come together, it's twice as hard because they both are bringing exactly. different selves. It's yeah. really kind of challenging. So this ability to kind of you know, sit to kind of soften the self, self-develop away, and that kind of primed us a little bit for that. And there's so many other parts of the path that you know, kind of help.
help with that as well. Just in terms of like right mindfulness, just being aware of kind of what's going on, the right concentration, or even kind of the parts of the path around the right speech so that we're not idly just you know, chatting. That's one of the great things that I, I pick up when I'm here, just like you know, it's more of a silence when we're here and in the end of it. It's just an ability to enter yourself because when you're, when you're listening, or not speaking, right? It's, it's hard to have a strong self if you're not speaking, right? And so it's the truth. Everybody wants to talk to Listening, talk you get the time on a splice screen, right? Where it's just this deep you know, listening that's taking place that resonates with. Um, so there's just so many parts of the path that just mean, you know, that you know, we all have kind of our food and nature and then we have you know, the path that helps. In so many ways, and uh, it's just, uh, it's that sense of self, which is like, kind of soften that in so many different ways, then you can truly meet something that's Otherwise, it's really hard. Oh, yeah. Just sharing projections. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it, it's a wonderful point you make about the, the <clears throat> deep connection between authenticity and and the ability to meet someone uh, or uh, any event to bring your whole not not uh, again getting away from this means to an end you know now we've got our our agenda and very much our projection what we're looking to do our our whole point here but to approach it authentically is to be completely wide open to the act of meeting without any objective. Okay. To fix anything, and just to be present and see what happens. Maybe something gets addressed. No. But just to have that encounter. That's that's where things can can really happen. Is from the encounter, the meeting. That's another place for the role of faith, having faith in that meeting, in the encounter. We feel like we need to have an agenda. Yep. Just, <clears throat> that's that's in the jazz piece to it is be authentic and let others respond to your authenticity. And maybe by being authentic, it has this element of almost contagiousness that can kind of spread. <laughs> it's catchy. <laughs> and that's a wonderful gift to be able to share. Another way to be of service to others is just simply being authentic. Pure and simple. And that's coming from the dark, because I don't know what's going to happen. 
<coughs> That's dark. Not no. So you need to be comfortable with dark. Have we heard the last word or? <clears throat> May our intention equally penetrate every being and place with the true merit of Buddha's way. Beings are numberless, I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to become it. Right. Back to that 